Thankful for our children's church workers. It's a blessing. Thank you, Brother Joe. Second Peter. If you've got your Bibles, you want to go there. If you're not, um, if you're not old, real familiar with your Bible, just start at the back at Revelations, and then after before Revelations is Jude, before Jude is the three John epistles, and then you'll be at Second Peter. So it's towards the back. Um, you get there, let me say amen. amen. All right. I'll tell you a little story, kind of get us in the right in the right mindset. That's not meant to be a joke, but uh, just kind of to help us understand. It's a parable of sorts, right? There was a farmer that sometimes attended a, a, a local church, and when he described his Christian life to people, he would always laugh and say. Well, as a Christian, I'm not making much progress, but at least I'm established. And he said that over and over, over the years, and the man's kind of worn out testimony always bothered the pastor that was his neighbor. And one day, the farmer was hauling some logs in his wagon, and the wagon wheel sucked down deep in the mud, and the wagon got stuck, and he could not get the wagon to move. Well, he got off the wagon, and he began to sit beside the wagon. He was frustrated. He was sitting there looking at the wagon. And about that time, the pastor rode by. And the pastor stopped and he hung out. He said, I see your wagon isn't making much progress, but I bet you're happy it's firmly established. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, I don't know what happened next. I'm sure it wasn't good. Uh, but you get the point. Sometimes in our Christian journey, we can get stuck. Amen? Amen. We can get stuck, and we can be okay with it. We can get to a place to where we're we're fine. We feel good enough where we are. We can get, at least, listen, I can speak for me, right? I'm not trying to make an accusation against you, but I got a feeling that you're not a lot different than me. Sometimes we can get spiritually lazy. We can become spiritually content in a way that keeps us from growing, in a way that keeps us from desiring to have a deeper relationship with this great God that saved us and I think we've got to be careful honestly now this morning if I was to really ask you honestly those that's been Christians for a while how many of you at some point at some season in your Christian walk have found yourself stuck yeah me everybody you can get to where you don't you're not growing you're not progressing in your relationship, your walk with God, that's that's happened to me. And really, that's been some of the most difficult times of my Christian life. When I get in that, that particular situation, I get spiritually complacent. We, we need to enjoy our Christian journey, but while we're enjoying it, we need to become more and more like Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what I want us to consider this morning as we look at these 11 verses in 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's read those together this morning. You begin to look there in your Bibles. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that, though, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. There's a lot to unpack in those scriptures. Right? Um, and we won't, we won't even scratch the surface on all the goodness that's in those 11 verses of scriptures. But first I want you to see just, I'll make a few points and then let them soak into you uh, over the week. And you can study more on these things. But the first thing that stood out to me is that our salvation is our motivation. Right? It's our motivation. And our salvation is in Christ alone. I want you to look back at verse 1 very quickly. And see what Peter says. He said, this is to those that have obtained a like precious faith with us. How? How do we obtain this precious faith, this salvation that he's speaking of? He says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This is our motivation. Peter's starting out with a, a very simple but powerful reminder that our faith, our salvation does not come from our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This, this is something that we have to be most careful about, is that we keep this truth firmly fixed in our hearts and keep it firmly fixed in our minds at all times, that when we think about our salvation... We never equate it with anything else other than the finished work of Christ. Amen? Amen? Christ deserves all the glory for salvation. Amen. Salvation is not of our own works, not of our own efforts, not of our own doing, but salvation comes by Christ alone. And you say, we get it, preacher. You tell us all the time. But be patient and bear with me because a lot of people don't get it. And this is foundational to true salvation. A lot of, a lot of people still believe that their salvation is in their own works. That salvation is about being a good person or being kind, or doing nice things for other people. They believe if they just stop a few bad habits and attend church and, and do those things, then they're saved. That's a works-based salvation. Yeah. It ignores the depravity of man and the filthiness of sin. And I want to be clear this morning because when I read this, I could hear Peter being very clear about it too. None of those things, no works, no church attendance, no quitting bad habits, no doing nice things for other people will save you. None of it. None of that can deal with your sin. And sin is what separates us from God. Amen? It's sin that does that. And there are many today who do not see their own sinfulness the way that God sees their sinfulness. Many people today look at their sin and they say, as long as I do more good than bad, then I'm on the right track. But that's not scriptural, it's not biblical, it's not the way God sees it. I'm here to tell you this morning, one sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. You could do one, one sin and live the rest of your life in perfect goodness and you still go to hell for the one sin. Because good works don't wash away sin. Being nice to other people doesn't wash away sin. Being willing to give people the shirt off your back doesn't wash away sin. Church attendance doesn't wash away sin. 
these things don't satisfy God's judgment and wrath against sin. There's only one way to be saved from sin and the wrath of God against sin, and it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's faith in Him. It's believing in His death and His resurrection as a substitute for your sin. It's the only way. That's why you read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, these words, and He Himself is the propitiation. Now what does that word mean? That word means the satisfying sacrifice. So He Himself is the satisfying sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Amen? Listen, this truth about salvation. Now, I know you're thinking, well, why are you preaching a, a salvation message? Well, number one, because I want people to be saved. Right? But number two, right, because I'm leading into this the same way Peter leads in. This truth about salvation being in Christ should motivate us in a lot of ways. Just to name a few of them, number one, it should motivate us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? Because what He did, you were unable to do. Amen. He could have left you in your condition. Amen? Yeah. He could have left you in sin. He was not obligated by any means to save you. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Amen? So, so it should, that love, we love Him because He first loved us. Amen? And so that, that should motivate you to love Him. It should also motivate you to glorify Him. To be thankful to Him for this amazing salvation that He has given. That should fill your heart with praise and worship. That should fill your heart with joy and peace. These are things that God has done on our behalf. Then after it motivates you to glorify Him, it should motivate you to pursue Him. You say, well, I've done got salvation. What more do I need? You've only, listen, you've only reached the foot of the cross. There's so much more about God. It's a lifetime of learning in God. It's a whole lifetime. And, and this should motivate you to say, well, I know this much about Him, and if this is this good, I want to know all I can about Him. Yeah. To seek Him with all of my heart, to pursue Him, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then finally, it should motivate you to want to share Him with other people, amen? To evangelize. And so Peter begins with this truth. This was a truth they had heard. It was a truth they had believed. He said it was a, he was writing to those who had obtained it. But he still reminded them of it, didn't he? Same way I'm reminding you today. Because I think Peter knew the same thing that we know this morning as we sit here. If we're not careful, we'll drift away from this truth. We'll drift away from it and we'll begin to stop trusting in Christ and His blood for our salvation, and we'll start looking at our works again. When we do that, we take our eyes off Christ. Remember when Peter was walking on the water? When he took his eyes off Christ, what began to happen? He began to sink. When we take our eyes off Christ and put them back on our works, we begin to sink. Keep your eyes on the thing that really did save you, not your works, Christ. And so that's what Peter does. He brings us back to the heart of the gospel and he reminds us that our faith, our salvation is through the righteousness of God. It's through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we must never lose sight of that truth. Amen? Amen? So we need to know that that's our motivation. Now look at the next thing that stands out to me is the need for knowledge. The next thing that Peter says is that we have this need for just a simple reading of verse 2 and 3 points us to the importance of having the knowledge of God. Look again, 2 Peter 1, 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you 
Bill, I just want to know God more. Bill, I just wish I had some peace in my life. Grace and peace can be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God. Right? In the knowledge of God. And Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, how do we know those things? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. The main thing you should notice here is the knowledge of God is very important. Now many people will hear the gospel and they will affirm their belief in the facts of the gospel. They say, yep, I believe Christ was uh, uh, born of a virgin. Yes, I believe that he was crucified. Yes, I believe that he was resurrected. They will repeat the facts that they have learned. But their lives do not reflect the truth of those things. It's as if those truths mean nothing. It's as if those truths are insignificant. It's what Timothy told Titus. Listen to this scripture in Titus chapter 1. He said, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Amen? Amen. So you see, there's a lot of people that know a lot of facts about Christ, but they themselves do not know Him personally. It's not enough to know about Christ. You have to know Christ in a true personal relationship with Him. Let me explain what I mean this morning. There's probably lots of people in here that grew up in church. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. Grew up in church. I hear that a lot. And they know all the Sunday school stories. And they know all the books of the Bible. And they know all the Romans road. And they know the whole gospel story. And they know about Christ. But there's lots of people who know all those things that don't know Christ. Yeah. Amen? Amen. They don't have a relationship with Him. They just have a head full of facts. Spurgeon said it like this. You'll like the way Spurgeon said it, or I did. He said, you can know about a medicine, but still die of the disease of which the medicine might have cured. Right? You can know that a medicine's out there, but still die of the disease that the medicine would have cured. It's not enough to know about Christ. You have to actually know Christ yourself. Paul said he counted everything as lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He said he wanted to know Him and the power of His resurrection. That implies a real personal intimate knowledge, a closeness a fellowship with Christ. Amen. That's what your Christianity should be. Amen. Right? It shouldn't just be a list of works that you check off each week and say, I read my Bible, I, I went to church, I said my prayers, I blessed my food, I did these things. Those things are all good. They're to be commended. They're to be, uh, be I'm thankful that you do those things. But they're no substitute for having a personal relationship with Christ. Amen. To be in fellowship with Him. We need close fellowship with God. We need to know Him more than we need the knowledge of anything else in this world. The knowledge of God that Peter's speaking about is, is worth more than all the riches of the world combined. To be able to search out and to know the truth and the promises and the exceeding riches of Christ. To know the eternal truths about God and to have deeper fellowship with Him. That's going to satisfy your soul more than anything in this world. Listen to what God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 9. He said, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man, the smart man, 
glory in his wisdom. Don't let the mighty man, the strong man, right, glory in his might. Don't let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. That's a good full picture of who the Lord is. Now listen to how he describes himself. He said he is loving. And the majority of the church today, that's all they ever focus on. And he delights in being loving. But then he also says he exercises judgment. That's the part nobody wants to hear anymore. But he delights in judgment too. And in righteousness. In these I delight, says the Lord. You want to glory in something this morning? You want to be able to glory? Don't glory in your retirement plan. Don't glory in your career, your title at work. Don't glory in how many things you've done for the Lord and how many sermons you've preached or how many this or that or whatever you've done. Don't glory in those things. Don't glory in your youth or your strength. If you want to glory in something, there's only one thing worth glorying in. It's that you understand and know the Lord. That's it. Seek that kind of knowledge. Go after it with all your heart. Get in the Word of God and read it. You say, how do I know the Lord? How can I know Him that way? You have to read your Bible. This is the means by which God has given us to know Him. To hear the Word preached. To hear the Word taught. To read the Word and to study to show ourselves approved. This is the way. And as you read it, you have to begin to trust every word of it. Even the ones that are difficult to understand. Even the ones you don't like. Even the ones that are hard. You just trust it and you follow it and you believe them by faith and you take them in and you feast upon them and you feed your soul and your faith grows. And the Word of God washes over you and it changes you. Little by little. Most growth in the Christian life is slow. And there's not a thing wrong with that as long as it's growing. And see, the knowledge of God will multiply the grace and the peace that you have in this life as your heart embraces the truth of the life to come. And you'll quickly begin to learn the power that's been given to you to live godly lives as you read the scripture there is power in the knowledge of God not just acknowledgement of facts but of true understanding it's to have the truth of God deeply rooted in your heads in your hearts so much so that your lives are changed by it amen it's what James meant when he said don't just be a hearer of the word be a doer of the word don't just be a listener be a doer, be a follower, be a believer. Now, so Peter said, we've been redeemed and restored to God by the finished work of Christ. And he goes on to tell us here that we're no longer slaves to sin, right? He said he has called us out of the world. We've escaped the corruption of the world. Our hearts have been set free from the worthless pursuits of the world. And now we're in pursuit of God himself. We've been given this precious faith. We are recipients of the righteousness of Christ. We have salvation and fellowship with God. We're growing in knowledge. And since we have this faith that God has given to us, now we need to add some things to it. Amen? Now you've got to add some things to your faith. This implies that we have to grow beyond the basics. This implies that as we are progressing in our Christian life, we should be progressing more and more. We should not just have faith. We should have faith plus some things. Add to your faith, right? Never allowing ourselves to be stagnant. Never allowing ourselves to get complacent. Never allowing ourselves to be lazy. 
Listen to, how, listen to how Paul spoke to the church at Thessalonica about their growth. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, he said, Remembering without ceasing, I'm sorry, he said, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards one another. He thanked God that their faith was growing exceedingly. Now this is the challenging part of this little message. Is your faith growing exceedingly? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you maturing as a believer? You see, faith is the foundation. It's the rock that we build on. You remember when Jesus was finishing out, He was closing the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he said, He that heareth these words and doeth them, He's like a wise man that builds his house upon rock. Right? And He said, When the winds come and the rains come and they beat upon the house, the house will stand because it's founded on the rock. And then adversely, He, he says, that there are those who build their house upon the sand. There's no foundation. And the rains come, and the wind comes, and it beats upon the house, and the house falls, and great is the fall of it. Amen? Amen. This foundation that we're building on is the foundation that our salvation is in Christ alone. It's that's the faith. If people say, Well, what's saving faith? Saving faith is believing that it's Christ alone that saves you. That's the belief you have to have. Not Christ plus this, not Christ plus that, not Christ plus your, your, your church membership, not Christ plus anything else. All that's put aside, just Christ. That's it. That's saving faith. What, what, what strikes me about it is, is that we have this solid foundation, but what Peter is saying to us, by the way, Peter knows that this is the end of his life, that this is the last thing he's going to write. He even says it over later in the book. He talks about that just a little bit, about how he knows that this is towards the end. And remember, Christ told Peter how it would end for him. He said, they'll lead you about. And they'll stretch out your arms. Peter was getting ready to go be crucified himself. And so this is what he wants to leave them with. These thoughts. That that's your foundation. That Christ alone is your foundation. Faith in Him. But you are to build on that foundation. You are to grow. You are to become more and more like Christ. You'll never achieve perfection, but you must always be in the pursuit of it. Sometimes the fact that we know we'll never achieve it, we use as an excuse not to pursue it. Amen? We say, well, nobody's perfect. Okay, but are you striving towards it? Are you working towards it? One day when we're with Christ, our sanctification will be complete. We'll have what we've longed for. Until then, it is our responsibility to pursue godliness. And I'm not going to go extensively into all these because it would make for a very long message. So I'm just going to briefly touch on them and I want to encourage you to go study them more in depth. But let's look at what Peter says to add to our faith. Number one, virtue. Sometimes it's translated, I think, in the New American Standard, it's moral excellence. But it means having a moral character that matches the Lord's. Brethren, that's a high calling. I always think of a, a great scripture to help explain this word virtue is Proverbs 31. We always read it on Mother's Day, right? Who can find a virtuous woman? But the scripture, when it asks that, 
it lists off some of the characteristics and it gives us an idea of what virtue looks like. Right? In, in the life of a, of a woman, it says that, that she should be graceful. Her attitudes are like Christ. Her desires are not selfish. She can be trusted. She's hardworking, not idle. She fears the Lord and it shows in her life. Her life produces fruit. Right? We see some of these, these things that, that come out of virtue, this virtuous woman. In the life of a believer, when we add virtue to our faith, we're saying we ought to represent Christ in our daily life too. In the way that we live and work and the things that we do and the fact that people can trust us, that we're graceful, that we're kind, that we would have those things in our life, in our actions, our ethics, our attitudes. And this virtue has to be added to faith. And when it is, it's powerful. Virtue without faith is insufficient. Now then he says, don't just add virtue. After you add virtue, or while you're adding virtue, you know what else you should add to your faith? Knowledge. And we kind of already talked about that a little bit. But it's also good doctrinal knowledge, a good scriptural understanding, you could easily say truth here instead of knowledge if you wanted to. We have to walk in the truth. John said, I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth. Amen? Amen. This, is, this is important, guys. You have to learn as much truth as you can from the Word of God. Because you're going to be faced with lies from every direction. Amen. Every direction. They're coming at us from all sides. It, 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 it's more so now. The deception is harder to get through now than it ever has been, I believe. There's so much false doctrine. And there was in Peter's day too. But there's so much false doctrine, so much false teaching, so many false teachers and so many avenues for them to spread their false messages. It's so crucial for you as a believer to be rooted and grounded in the knowledge of truth. Amen. We have to study to show ourselves approved. We have to be willing to put in the hard work of studying to learn about God, to learn truth. And you have to do that you can only build on that foundation of faith. Amen? Amen. Amen? What's the third thing he says to add? I'm trying to go through them as quick as I can. I don't want you to get bored. Self-control. We are to discipline ourselves and learn to control ourselves. Amen? Amen. How many of you is good at this one? <laughs> <laughs> Well, then we all are a work in progress. Amen? Now we know the message is clear that it's for all of us. Amen? Not just for me. Can I tell you, self-control is the opposite of self-indulgence? Being able to control yourself, we have to learn to bring our bodies under subjection. We have to be able to control our appetites. We can no longer be dominated by our own desires. We must learn to control ourselves in every circumstance. Control our emotions. Control our anger. Control our frustrations. Control our attitudes. You say, I don't know. It's a pretty high calling. You better believe attaching Christ to your name is a high calling. <laughs> to profess that you are a Christian means more than you go to church on some Sunday mornings. Amen. It means you are a follower, a believer, and a disciple of Christ Himself. Right? So yes, it's a high calling. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's necessary. As we grow, will you be perfect? No. Will you occasionally not exercise self-control? It will happen to you. It's happened to me. Is that an excuse not to work on self-control? God forbid. We have to continue to battle. See, this disciplined life that we have to live, we have to add it to the foundation of faith. What about the next one? Perseverance. I, thought, I found a quote on this one. I thought it would describe it the best. 
Perseverance is the frame of mind and character which persists in doing what's right even though doing so may produce difficulties. That's perseverance. Being willing to do what's right even when it's hard. Even when it, when it means you have to suffer. It's, it's John the Baptist standing before the king and saying it's not lawful for you to do this. Knowing that what comes behind may cost him everything. Amen? But it's being willing to persevere. Perseverance is the commitment to suffer in the short term in order to experience glory for eternity. It's the ability to endure to the end no matter the persecution or suffering you may have to face. Listen, here's the reality. This is the truth. If you're going to live the real Christian life, you're not going to be popular with everyone. Forget about that. Not everybody's going to love you. You're going to face persecution. You're going to be hated by some. You're going to be an outcast at times. You're going to be considered a peculiar people. You're going to be strange to those that live in the world, but that's okay. Persevere through that. Right? That's perseverance. The ability to endure some separation, some difficulty, some, some suffering. Make sure, though, because I, I think sometimes we get this twisted up. Make sure that what you call persecution comes because of Christ and not because you're a jerk. Yeah. Amen? Amen. I know that sounds harsh, but sometimes we can behave in a rude way, in an unseemly way, and then somebody does something back to us and we say, well, it's because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you acted wrong. It's because you didn't do the right thing. Right? If you go to work and, 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 you, and you steal from your company and they fire you for stealing, don't come back home and say they fired me because I'm a Christian. You see what I'm saying? Don't be offended that I said jerk in the pulpit. I'm not saying you all are jerks. I'm saying don't let those kinds of things be confused. Persecution comes because of Christ. Hardships sometimes come because of bad decisions on our part. Amen? Amen. Now he said add to that perseverance, godliness. Now this is the attitude. This is the desire to please God in all things. This is a desire to live a life that pleases God. A life of holiness. And let me tell you what, this is missing in a lot of Christians' lives today. To pursue holiness is to set yourself apart from the world and it's to cut ties with the world. It's to change your affections from the things of the world to the things of God. It's a practical, daily, lived out faith. It's when you walk by faith, trusting in Christ, obeying Christ, even when it's hard. It's modifying our behavior to testify to the greatness of our God. Amen? So you add to your faith godliness. And then you add brotherly kindness. This is a willingness to put others above yourself. Man, that's a high calling. Isn't that so hard? And in my life, it's been one of the harder struggles of all the things that we've listed so far. Uh, Self-control is hard for me. So is brotherly kindness all the time. Not because I don't love the brethren, but just because sometimes I get caught up in myself. I'm prideful at times. But this is the discipline of being willing to sacrifice for others. It's doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Amen? Amen? It's being willing to forgive 
even when it's hard to forbear, even when they're difficult. It's going the second mile when they needed to just go one. It's giving you the cloak also and not just the coat. Right? It's the, willing to, the willingness to give cheerfully so that others can be blessed even when it's not always easy for you. It's, it's loving those that aren't easy to love. It's showing mercy to those who don't always show mercy to you. It's being graceful and not seeking revenge. It's, it's, it's brotherly kindness. And it needs to be added to our faith. And then lastly, of course, love. And this is the greatest attribute that must be had. Love, by all this, by, by, by love, men will know that you're my disciples because you have love for one another. Amen? Love covers a multitude of sins. Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, though I have all faith, all knowledge, all understanding, I, the, I, all mysteries have been revealed to me, even if I gave my body to be burned as a martyr, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Amen. Ah, amen? amen. So you have to learn to love. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not arrogant. Love does not brag. Love does not behave rudely. Love is not selfish. Love isn't easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Those are the seven things that Peter, as he is preparing to leave this world, Peter the Apostle, Peter, the one that walked with Christ, Peter, the one that loved him, Peter, the one that, that struggled, Peter, the one that walked on water, Peter, the one that while he was out fishing after Christ's crucifixion, uh, uh, he looked upon the shore and he realized who was there and he jumped off the boat and he ran and, and swam with all his might to get there. This same Peter, he said, add these seven things to your faith. See, we have to grow. Those seven things are enough to consume you your entire life. Amen? Amen? You'll work on those things from now until the day you die. It'll always give you something to do. There's no need, there's no reason to be stagnant. No need to pretend like we don't have uh, areas to work on. We do have them. Amen? Amen. Even the most mature among us, we've got room. Amen. And Peter tells us why all this is important. And I love the way that he says it. It's such a motivation for us to really begin to do this hard work of building and we're getting ready to be done. But just look back at verses 8 through 11 and listen now how, how Peter sums this up. If these things are yours, what things now? If these things, look at them again, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, Godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. If these things are yours, and the only way those things can be yours is if you build upon the foundation of faith. And faith is believing that it's Christ alone. But he said, if these things are yours and abound in you, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in what? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Now then he goes on to say, for he who lacks these things, so he motivates us and says, you'll be fruitful, you'll have knowledge of God if you have these things, but if you don't, he that lacks these things is 
short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Then he goes on to say, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things that we just talked about, you will never stumble. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? These things are a great test of your assurance. If you do these things, you can be assured that your faith is genuine. It takes a genuine faith in Christ to be able to do those things. Right? You'll ne you probably won't ever do those things in the flesh. But in the Spirit, those things are possible. Then he says, if you do these things, you'll never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Listen, we've all got work to do, don't we? Amen. Let's do it. Don't, don't, don't get demotivated. Don't get stuck. Don't, don't get stagnant. Don't, don't stop growing. Every day, seek to grow a little more in Christ. Don't, don't, don't worry about perfection. It's out there. You're going to get to perfection one day when Christ comes back. But until then, strive every day to be more and more like Christ. Yes. Fight the good fight of faith. Make sure your faith stays in the only thing that can save you. Don't, don't, don't start putting your faith in your self-control. Don't start putting your faith in your perseverance. Don't start putting your... That's like building a house on the sand. But build those things up in faith and you'll be a stronger Christian. Yes. A brighter light. Build that building up high so that everybody has to look at it. Amen? Yes. So that everybody sees it and says, Man, I want to follow Christ with them. That's the way we want to live. Let's stand to our feet. Now, just a time for prayer this morning. We've got just we've got plenty of time. Maybe you're here and some of these things stuck out to you, and you say, "Man, I want to pray about some things. I, I want to grow right in some things. I, I got some things that I want to God to help me to work on and." Uh, of those seven things, I, I want. I, I know. I see my blind spots. I see my weaknesses, and I just want to come and talk to the Lord about it for me. That's what this time is for you. So the altar is open to you. If you'd like to come for prayer, you're welcome to come. We invite you to come. We'll tarry for a moment and see if anybody wants to come. this morning before we go together in prayer. Now in no way is it meant to be a condemning message but a motivational message for you to begin to really, really, really work on growing closer to Christ. The benefits are for you. You'll be Better off the closer you get to Him. Doesn't mean life will be easier, but it means you'll have more of Him. And there's nothing better. Nothing better. All right, we're going to go together to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning, God, for your blessings. We're so grateful and so thankful, God. For all that you do. Grateful for such a, a loving church, God. That craves to hear truth. Lord, that desires, God, to, to hear the word, Lord. 
God, we want to be the people, God, that, that live for you. God, these seven things that we read about tonight, Lord, we, we, we want to be able to live those things out. But we know we're not perfect, God. And we know that we fall short. And so we ask for your help today, Lord. Lord, in these areas that were mentioned today, wherever maybe each heart's struggling, God, would you work in us and reveal it to us? God, help us to be more like you. God, give us an assurance. Help us to be fruitful. Help us to be loving. Help us to walk even as you walk. Help us to follow after you in everything that we do. God, help us to persevere and endure the hardships of this world, God. And as the world squeezes in more and more on us, God, just increase our faith more and more. And God, if there's doubt in anybody's heart today, Lord, if there's a lack of assurance, God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them. And God, help them to fix their eyes on the only place we can draw assurance from in the finished work of Christ. I thank you for the cross, God. I thank you for your death on my behalf, God. I thank you, Lord, that your blood has washed away my sins. I thank you for a salvation, God, that I didn't deserve. And I thank you for a love, God, that I didn't deserve. And Lord, I want you to know I love you with my whole heart, God. And I pray the church knows that I love them. And I pray that our love will abound more and more for one another, God that you'll continue to knit our hearts together in love. And that you'll add daily such to the church that you want to come. And that we'll be able to rejoice together, serve together, finish well together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we love you. We want to remind you about the baptizing. Don't forget about that at Camp Jacob. At 1.30 we'll... Should, we'll leave here and go straight there. We'll be right about right timing. So thank you so much for coming today. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Know that you're loved and we thank God for you. Have a great week. God bless you.